Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. We form a global brotherhood bound together by a common desire to understand, repair, design, and build our own electronic equipment, and by a willingness to help each other in our efforts to master radio technology. All are welcome. Now, please join us in the solder smoke. This episode of Solder Smoke is brought to you by Sierra Radio Systems, www.hamstack.com. Okay, it's Friday, April 1st, 2011, and gentlemen, this is Solder Smoke 132, a lot of stuff to report. Um, a lot of solder melting, you know, some of the listeners have been writing in saying, we want to hear about more actual melting of solder, and I'm happy to tell you that I have quite a bit to report in this area. The fickle finger of fate reached into the N2CQR ham shack this week, and it caused the um, the lamp, I have a little Ikea lamp, kind of retro looking, 1930s looking thing. It kind of, it's got a big arm and it hangs out and it has this kind of silver focusing thing and it looks very scientific. So I have it, I have it in the shack and I have one near the, uh, I have two on the workbench and one on the, the operating table. And uh, well, it got loose, it got loose from its moorings and it fell over. And this is where the the fate thing comes in. When it when it impacted, it hit my Da Vinci Code QRSS um, Hans Summers G Zero UPL inspired uh, transmitter. Uh, this is the um, the board that was originally inside the Da Vinci Code paperback book, hence the name. And wouldn't you know it, it struck the one most critical, most difficult to replace part on the whole transmitter. It, it came down and it hit it right smack in the crystal. <laughs> and it just snapped the um, the crystal off of its um, off of its moorings there and broke the, the lead into the crystal so no more that crystal's a goner. I I, th- I thought about trying to resolder the, uh, you know, the the lead onto the little little bit of metal that was sticking out the bottom but that's uh, that's a no-go. So I had to rummage around, rummage around, and sure enough, I think I, I found some replacement crystals in there thanks to Jim, AL7RV, who sent me a bunch of them. So I popped that in, and the uh, the QRSS transmitter went back on the air. So there's a little bit of solder was actually melted in the uh, in the N2C QR ham shack. Also did some, um, some heroic computer repair. I know you guys are, are all still awestruck, gobsmacked, as the Brits would say, by my tale of intrepid computer repair daring do regarding the Sony Vios computer that my wife had that went uh, went toes up on us. You remember the story where I put the uh, the halogen lamp and focused the beam right on top of the uh, the graphics chip and Resoldered the uh, the connections down below that had gone bad because of the uh, the evil lead-free solder that had been used by Sony and Nvidia. Well, this this repair story is not quite so heroic, um, but nevertheless, I think it's in the uh, kind of cool category. Um, I have we have this really old Pentium computer. You know, I never get rid of computers. My son counted them. He said I got six of them in the shack now. Most of them sort of from the last century. 
<laughs> um, one of them was um, it was was giving me trouble when we when we completed our move from when we complete when we completed our move from um, from Rome. I hooked up the computer and man, it made all kinds of noises. I th- I thought the hard disks or one of the hard disks in there had gone, and I thought that was what was giving me the trouble. So that was I was working on it, and I I opened it up recently and started looking inside there. This was after I bought the um, the replacement hard drive at the Vienna Wireless uh, Hamfest a couple weeks ago. Anyway, I was thinking about popping it in there and maybe turning this thing into a win into a Linux machine, but it just wasn't working right. And I looked in there, and what had happened was the the big heat sink that cools the main CPU chip had broken loose. Maybe as it got jostled in shipping. I don't know what it was, but the thing was loose and it was just sort of flopping around there. It wasn't making any kind of contact with the um with the chip, which is of course not good in the heat sink department. So I uh, I looked around and I couldn't find that they had these little kind of these kind of specially made clamps that that hold the thing down to the motherboard and that wasn't around i don't know where that thing went so i i just looked at it i, I pulled out some um you know uh some some heat sink compound and put it on the appropriate spots then i kind of stuck the uh the heat sink on there i thought for a while of running the computer just laying on its side and using the force of gravity to hold the uh, the heavy heat sink to the computer chip but i figured that wouldn't work so then I just looked around the shack and I found some some kind of thin copper insulated wire, kind of looped it around an appropriate uh, holding point on the motherboard, wrapped it over the top of the heat sink, tightened at the other end, so that the heat sink is now literally tied down to the chip, fired the thing up and it, it came back to life. So there you go. There you go, guys. Another uh, computer repair story brought to you by Solder Smoke. Um, <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of fun. Some more, um, I guess, kind of weird troubleshooting here. You know, we've been talking, we've been droning on endlessly about the, uh, the fascinating audio problems of uh, of the Solder Smoke podcast. We've been talking about this for years now, but let's talk about it some more. Why not? You know, listeners to recent shows will have noticed that I, I had some sort of strange audio playing in the background. I thought it was AM breakthrough. I thought, well, you know, I'm sitting here in the uh, in the wilds of Northern Virginia, a lot of towers, a lot of RF around, and I figured, well, maybe there's some big AM broadcast station out there that's uh, just so, sort of somehow getting into my uh, my sound card or getting into the microphone here. It happens. It happens with um, you know the little DC receivers that we build, and I figured, why why not? It could be happening with the with the computer. Well, I figured, okay, the way to find out about what are the really powerful AM broadcast stations in the neighborhood is to break out my old crystal radio. So Billy and I had built a crystal radio in London, and uh, long-time listeners will recall that we, we played some of the audio on the show, Kismet, Kismet Radio in London, um, transmitting in in Urdu and, and other uh, Asian languages. It's kind of cool to fire that thing up in, in London and listen to that. Well, I pulled it out and reworked it a little bit. I put a picture of it up on the blog. Used the same coil wound on an old um, old uh, bottle of um, contact lens fluid. <laughs> Without the fluid. 
just the bottle, that was our coil form, and hooked it up to the uh, long wire antenna that I have out in the backyard, and sure enough, there was a couple of really powerful uh, AM stations. One of them was WFAX, Fairfax County, Virginia, and that, that is a religious broadcaster here on around, I think it's around 1200 on the dial, and uh, another station was relatively co close by with a, a big powerful station specializing uh, just as Kismet did in uh, transmitting in foreign languages for the uh, the various uh, immigrant communities here in the Washington area. Anyway, both these stations were coming through, and I figured, okay, this this is it. Um, let me uh, this this must be what what's causing uh, the interference. But it it turns out that it it wasn't. Um, and I I went back and took a listen to the um, um, to, to what I was hearing in the background there. And uh, it really wasn't what it was what was coming through. There was something else. I mean, it was what I was listening to was <laughs> on what I could hear playing in the background of the Solder Smoke podcast was classic rock, specifically ZZ Top. And and you guys, you, you know that the, the the religious broadcasters really are not into ZZ Top. <laughs> and and I'm I'm thinking neither is the station. That is, uh, you know, transmitting to the Bengali community here in Washington. ZZ Top, I'm no expert, but I don't think it's big in Bangladesh. And so why, what am I hearing? I'm hearing ZZ Top from the computer. Listeners around the world are hearing ZZ Top in the background of the Solder Smoke podcast. But the only really powerful uh, broadcast stations, AM broadcast stations in the neighborhood, are... Um, you know, the religious broadcaster down the road and the foreign language broadcaster up the street. So, and there's no other really powerful AM signals showing up on my crystal radio. So now I'm thinking FM. I, I know, I know a lot of guys said, well, how's the FM going to get in there? How's the sound card? What, what's, you know, that, that really shouldn't happen with FM. But Bert, our correspondent out there at the University of Virginia at Charlottesville, uh, sent in a message from the uh, nuclear reactor bunker radio club. And, and he said, um, you know, why don't you listen carefully and see if you can get a call sign when you're listening to the, uh, to the radio frequency interference that's making it into the podcast through your sound card. So one morning, a couple weeks ago, I put on the headphones and I listened carefully and listen, listen, listen. And, you know, they're, they're definitely playing classic rock, but I couldn't get a call sign. It was kind of garbled, but it was playing in the background. It was really weak and I couldn't. And I, I recorded. What I did is I just turned on the computer, and and recorded with uh, with nothing coming out of the mic, and I could see little little bit of of wiggling down down there on the waveform with the RFI coming in. All I could make out was that it was um, Peter Frampton, the old song "Do You Feel Like We Do." This is the song where there's they, they made a, a use of a lot of a lot of use of synthesizers. And not only that, there was a good advantage. They don't play this song too often anymore, and it goes on pretty much forever. <laughs> it's like a, when they play the full version, I think it's like a 10-minute song. So I'm listening to Frampton in the headphones coming through the computer. I said, okay, this is my chance. I jump up, run across the shack, grab a little FM, AM, FM radio that I have, and I quick start tuning through the dial. And sure enough, at 100.3, the big 100.3, big FM, Washington, D.C., classic rock, there's Peter Frampton coming through. So that, so problem solved. We know that, the, uh, that it's a powerful FM broadcast station 
making it in. I, I then I, I did a quick check on the um, on the web, and I found out that uh, Big One Hundred Three FM WBIG, sure enough, has its broadcasting tower about one kilometer, about half a mile from uh, from my house. Uh, from the front yard, I can see off in the distance. I can see the tower, the red lights blinking, and uh, it's appropriately on Tower Lane. Um, anyway, uh, and it's it's putting out 50 kilowatts, so it's a 50 kilowatt FM station up there. Thank you, Peter Frampton. Mystery solved. Uh, I think I I may have eliminated the um, the the problem with the. Uh, with the with the broadcasting, be by um, uh, first of all, I'm using a, a shorter lead. The one microphone that I was playing around with had a very long lead, and the, the lead seemed to be just about one half wavelength at the um, at the frequency of 100.3 FM. <laughs> so that might have been putting helping to put a lot of voltage right there at the terminal into the sound card. I put a little RF choke with a ferrite uh, core. I wrapped some of the um, the microphone cord through that, and uh, I think this may have eliminated the problem. We'll see. I don't, for all I know, Peter Frampton's playing in the background right now. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of it was kind of fun to do some um, RF sleuthing with crystal radios. Yeah, a lot of fun. Let's see. The lure of the regen. I, I told you guys, just say no. I said, you know, whenever you get the urge to build a regen receiver. Just say no, because as I've repeatedly indicated here, I really do think that there is a, um, a diabolical component in the design, construction, and operation of regenerative radio receivers. But sometimes you get tempted, and sometimes you get lured in, and it's happened to a lot of us, and I, I find myself in this situation now. This, um, this old uh, British, and I blame this on the British, by the way. I blame it on the British, and I blame it on that movie, The King's Speech, because the King, I watched The King's Speech and I came home feeling nostalgia for Britain. And there was this little radio that I had picked up at the Kempton Park Rally. And and I just, I couldn't sell it. I didn't sell it at the uh, the Vienna Wireless Ham Fest, again, because of the, the King's Speech movie. So I started working on it. And I'm gradually tracing out the schematic. You know, that's the first step. You know, when you get an old radio like this, when you say, oh, just let me see what the circuit looks like, and you start tracing out the schematic, yeah, watch, you'll be into about two weeks of, uh, of frustrating soldering, trying to get this thing working right. I've managed to, si- it's sidetracked now, it's off on the back of the bench, it's sort of on the back burner, but I know I'm going to get back to it, so um, stay tuned for more uh, kind of uh, uh, tales of uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and regenerative receivers, but I'm telling myself, maybe it'll be better with a tube type regen. You see, that's the logic you use. That's that's the slippery slope you get on when you get into the regen game. All the regens that I've built so far have been solid state regens. I've never really built one using valves, tubes. Well, this one is definitely in the valve and tube department. And um, I think I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm, I'm looking at old schematics from the 20s and 30s from um, from the UK. I've got the, the schematic of this thing almost traced out. Most of the parts seem to be in pretty good shape. I'll probably have to get some of the, the tubes, aka valves. But um, so far, so good. I think it's, a, it's a, well, <laughs> stay tuned. Um, now, 
turning our attention to outer space, those of you who read the blog will know that um, we've had a couple of um, distant encounters of the visual kind with um, with spacecraft. The um, the shuttle Discovery made its final mission, flew up to uh, the International Space Station, and uh, uh, being a real hardcore geek as I am, of course, I was aware of the of the, uh, the shuttle orbital parameters and the uh, the space station's orbital parameters and the website Heavens Above and uh, and SpaceWeather.com both alerted me to the fact that at one point a few weeks ago the uh, both spacecraft were going to be flying over the nation's capital. So I um, dragged the kids and Elisa out to the front yard and uh, one day we watched just the, uh, the space station fly over and a couple weeks later we went out and watched the space station and the shuttle Discovery fly over. It was, it was all pretty spectacular. I had alerted a couple guys at work to the fact that this was going to happen which uh, and, and, they, and they actually went out and they actually were able to see it which greatly increased my uh, techno geek street cred in the office and uh, I am now considered truly in the, uh, the scientific wizard category. I can predict the arrival of spacecraft. <laughs> it's, um, but anyway, this, this all put me back. And you know this happens. Guys who've been listening to for a while will know that I'll occasionally get into a, an outer space frame of mind. This is an international geophysical year thing. I was born in the IGY. Um, I was, I guess, I was about 11 or 12 years, 10 or 11 years old when they landed on the moon. I used to skip school so I could watch the uh, the Apollo critical moments in the Apollo mission. I um, I convinced my lovely wife that we should include a visit to the Kennedy Space Center on our honeymoon. And if if there's no other if, if that doesn't prove my uh, my 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 space geek uh, status, I don't know what will. And and, and you know, wow. I, I, <laughs> I'm amazed that I got away with that, but my wife is is, is very tolerant and patient, and, and 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 she she went along with it. All right. Anyway, I'm in the outer space frame of mind now, and um, so I decided that I don't want to have to watch and, and observe only the visual passes. Uh, I want to know. I want to. I want to be in contact with the outer space, uh, with the space vehicles, just about on every pass. So I started thinking back to um, my days out in the Azores when I was deeply involved in space communications, probably even more so back in the Dominican Republic, but the most recent episode of this kind of madness was, uh, was in the Azores from 2000 to 2003. Um, this ties in with the beacon thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into beacons, all kinds of beacons. Tony Fishpool of the GQRP Club told me when I was visiting uh, the, the Dover Construction Club, told me that I have broadcaster tendencies. And it's, you know, that's why I like Gene Shepard. That's why I do the podcast. That's why I do the whisper thing. That's why I do QRSS, all this kind of stuff. It's a broadcaster kind of tendency, and it's probably true. But I was thinking, my favorite, I like all kinds of beacons. They, they're sort of like, um, you know, radio lighthouses, and it's just kind of cool. I, I like the CW beacons on 10 meters. I like QRSS. I like Whisper. But my favorite kind of beacon was always the space beacons. And this is where you use packet radio. You remember packet radio back in the days before the Internet? 
terminal node controllers, BPSs, BBSs, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, what you do is you set up a packet radio station. You put it on the frequency of the uh, the digipeter in the sky, and you set up your um, your computer system to send out a beacon every minute or so. And normally, it's just going off into space and not being picked up by anything. But every once in a while, when that spacecraft flies overhead, your uh, your little packet is picked up and digipeded back down to Earth by that uh, by the digipeter in the sky. And we have one now. It's up on the International Space Station. And um, all these visual, ex- uh, visual, visual observation escapades with the space station got me thinking about it. So... I start rummaging around in the boxes, and well, there's the Cantronics KPC terminal node controller. I dragged out the old um, Toshiba Satellite Pro laptop that uh, that I bought back here in Virginia back in 1997. Wow. Bought it for Elisa when, um, shortly after Billy was born. Um, still, still around Kevin, uh, ZL3KE down there in New Zealand. In, in Christchurch was the one who talked me through getting this thing back to life. I found an old, uh, my old uh, Tandy, a realistic HTX202 handy talkie for two meters. And I found an old magmount two meter antenna that I never really slapped on the top of my car, but I put it out in the backyard. I just threw it out there, got it in the uh, vertical position, ran the antenna wire through the window and Anyway, up it went, and um, fired the whole thing up, left the computer on, I think this was was one day last week, knew that the space station was going to be flying over mid-morning, and had the whole thing set up, 145.825 is the frequency, and sure enough, when I came home from work, at the end of the day, I walked into the shack, and there were a whole bunch of packets, packets from space. I was just in receive mode, but it was a real hoot to see the the packets and the call signs all sitting there waiting for me on the uh, on the computer screen. Didn't even load PacTerm or anything; just use the terminal program that comes with uh, Windows 3.1. Worked fine. I'm gonna. I, I can't transmit. There's something wrong with the little cable interface between the, uh, the terminal node controller and the computer. That's uh, on my radio to do list uh, this morning to make up a better. Um, a better cable because I'd like to, of course, the next step, set it up for beacon operations and start sending beacons to space, <laughs> packets to space. Stay tuned. Um, hope to see you on the spacecraft. Hey, um, I've been reading electric radio. You know, um, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to pull me away from Sprat. And I'm going to talk about Sprat a little later in, the, in this, week's, uh, this week's show. But I've been reading electric radio, and I, I find all kinds of great stuff in there, and little pieces of theory and everything else. I, um, I, there's, there's something I found in a recent edition, well, in a recent look at an old uh, issue of electric radio. You know, in Solder Smoke uh, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, a.k.a. Solder Smoke the Book, I, um, I talk about my struggle as a teenager to understand the inner workings of the Helicrafters HT37 phasing method sideband transmitter. Phasing method is the, the key. I mean, I, 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 I could understand mostly how a crystal filter-based sideband transmitter worked, 
But man, as a kid, I could not understand how the phasing system worked. I struggled. I tried. I read the handbook. I read the handbook again. I read other handbooks. Nothing. It, I, it just, I just didn't see it. I couldn't see it. And it was bothering me because uh, as, as a kid, I really felt that to be a true radio amateur, to be in the, uh, in the, um, in the company of the anointed ones, of the, uh, the hardcore radio geeks described by Gene Shepard, you really had to understand how all your gear worked. And there were a number of gaps in my understanding. And one of the most important ones was my understanding of how a phasing sideband transmitter works. Anyway, I finally figured it out. And it's, uh, I describe my, um, my understanding of it and how I came to it. And I describe that in Insider Smoke, the book. But the real hero in this thing was... Um, uh, a radio amateur named uh, Don Vorgard. Uh, Don uh, Vorgard. I don't. I don't have his call sign in front of me right now, but it's in the book. But there was a an article that appeared in SSB for the radio amateur, a compilation of um, articles about single sideband published by the ARRL. And I picked this book up in a hamfest, and in it was an article that describes the phase relationship between sidebands and between the sideband components of, of an AM signal. And then Don, the author of the article, describes very, very clearly how a phasing transmitter manipulates these phase, these inherent phase differences in the, uh, in the sidebands to eliminate one and, and, uh, and allow the other to pass to the amplifiers and out to the ether. So anyway, I was looking through uh, electric radio, and there was a an article about the history of uh, of sideband gear, and a picture of Don Vorgard, and I didn't realize that he was one of the real true pioneers. I, I just thought he had written this this article for QST, but I find out that no, Don was um, one of the pioneers uh, of of single sideband, and they've got a picture of him in electric radio, and I'm going to in the next uh, week or so get that picture up on the Solder Smoke blog. So. Thanks to Electric Radio and thanks to Don Vorgard for straightening me out on uh, on on the phasing method of sideband uh, generation. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Sprat. What an amazing magazine! If you guys aren't subscribed to Sprat, well, you're just you're out of it. You know, you're you're <laughs> you're missing. So I really encourage everybody to to subscribe to to Sprat. Um, it's a it's an important uh, magazine for um, for QRP folks. You get membership in the GQRP. Some folks have asked me how can I subscribe to Sprat uh, while living in in the U.S. of A. And um, well, I'm gonna po- I'm gonna post the information on uh, on Sprat subscriptions up on the on the blog. They have a an agent here in the United States who will take your uh, your subscription from you and get you going on on Sprat. And I think. Uh, well, I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. So um, anyway, anyway, the most recent editions of Sprats they have a, they have some really cool stuff in there. One in the the penultimate edition, there was a description of bidirectional um, bidirectional SSB uh, transmitter with a really cool circuit describing it. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna have to hit the pause button here because I want to tell you more about this one.
All right. Well, I can't find the uh, the one about the bidirectional a rig, but it was real. It was I know it was in issue number one forty five, and it was really cool because it had the uh, the balance modulator set up so that you could go bidirectional. Of course, this is the, the principle behind the the bit X of Ashar Farhan and all and 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 all that great great development stuff. Uh, but I'll talk about, I guess I'll talk about that when I find it. You know, that's a problem with spread. I, I carry them around with me, then I, I can't remember where I left them. But I have the current edition in my hand, and it's uh, Sprat 146, a really magnificent, uh, magnificent edition. I, 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 it's got a color picture on the cover. I really like the, the color. And it's got an old friend. It's like a blast from the past. The ZL2 BMI 80-meter double sideband transceiver as built by Bob, ZL2ASO. You know, when I first got into the uh, the double sideband uh, biz a while back, um, the this, the ZL2 BMI a transceiver was one of the ones that really caught my attention. Very simple, really nice, and they've got a whole big write-up here on it. Um, and it, I'll, I'll read you the opening paragraph. The article is by Eric Sears, ZL2 BMI. And it says, back in the mid-80s, in order to have a very small rig for tramping, a.k.a. bushwalking or hiking, um, for up to seven days in remote areas of New Zealand, I designed and built various 80-meter double sideband transceivers. Some of these were initially published in the NZ Art magazine Break-In, 1984-1986, and shortly afterwards I produced a booklet giving some details which were sold through Sprat around the world. Subsequently, this booklet was published as an article in Sprat 83. That's the article that I saw. Um, and this, man, if you guys want, are looking to build a real simple phone transceiver that you can use, this is it. It's got one NE602. And uh, the, the amazing thing is that Eric uses the NE602 in a way that I haven't seen it used before. Let me just see if I can get to this to the point here. Um, da, 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 da. Nowhere in my searches of the internet had I ever seen anyone use the two mixers of the 602 as both transmit and receive at the same time, but I didn't see why it should not be possible. Having an inbuilt oscillator, I figured it should be possible to use that as the tuning, especially since ceramic resonators are now available, which either didn't exist or not available in the mid-1980s. Oh, guys, you can see what's going on here. Take a look at this circuit. I'm looking at the whole schematic. He's got one 602. He's got an LM386. He's got two little NPN transistors as the, uh, the PA. And that's basically it. Some some coils, some resistors, some caps, one ceramic resonator, and you're off. Check it out. I mean, Sprat. Let me hold on. Let me just thumb through here. I'm just looking through, see if I can get any kind of info, any other info that I can pass on. Da, da, da. It's great stuff. Da, da, da. And like I said, I'll publish the information on subscriptions on the, on the blog here soon. Thanks to uh, everybody out there in Spratland. Thanks to George Dobbs, G3RJV. Thanks to Tony Fishpool, the entire GQRP group for the continued wonderful 
contribution to the ham radio hobby. Um, okay, moving along. Hey, I've entered a contest. Um, no, not the not the sweepstakes or not the you know five nine nine in in Northern Virginia kind of thing. Um, there's a, a a contest. The contest has been set up by what the person who has to be the most kind of talented, intrepid, and active um, woman in the whole electronics game. I'm talking, of course, about Jerry Ellsworth. She's been producing these really amazing videos. She's, I don't think she's an amateur radio operator, but she really should be because she definitely has the knack. Anyway, uh, Jerry and her, uh, and her colleagues had set up a contest using the uh, for, for innovative and creative and artistic uses of the, uh, of the 555 uh, chip, the timer chip. And uh, I, I sent in an entry because when I was out in the Azores, I used a 555 timer to activate a camera that I put up on a kite <laughs> and took pictures with. I, I have no hope of winning, but I just felt like participating. So I sent in a link to my website that describes, describes this uh, device. Um, and anyway, off it went. So, um, I don't know. I don't know if they've made an announcement yet, but, uh, if any of you guys have connections, you can lobby for the, uh, the N2CQR, actually the CU2JL kite cam. And there are pictures up on my website. If you're interested in, in seeing what this, uh, what this device uh, produced. Okay. All right. Now, as they say in the world of professional radio, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. But you know, working with these guys, it's not like you're working with a with a with. I don't know. It, it it doesn't really seem like a kind of a kind of a cold business relationship. It's really a pleasure to work with the guys from uh, from Sierra Radio. I got a nice uh, email from George uh, KJ6VU, uh, and further evidence that we're we're dealing with real hams, real uh, real knack guys here. Uh, it, George in the email told me that he. Uh, he dropped into a in, into a local uh, ham radio store near where he lives. He needed to pick up a battery, and as he was paying, the guy behind the counter looked up from the computer and said, "Hey, aren't you the guys sponsoring Solder Smoke? I listen to every episode. <laughs> Pretty cool, eh? <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was really thrilled to hear that." Anyway, George uh, sent me some additional news about their project. And they um, they have their new website up and running with insta- info on the Hamstack. It's called the, the website is www.hamstack.com. You can also reach it via the um, via our site via the Solder Smoke blog. You can see I have a little banner right up in the top center there with. Uh, the uh, the hamstack logo and if you click on that it'll take you right to the um, uh, the the website they're offering uh, several boards and accessories including the main CPU board kit a prototype board kit a, a relay board kit a kit with LCD display and uh, a 2.4 gigahertz RF module all assembled they uh, George tells me that the best deal is what they call the Hamstack Starter Pack. It includes everything you need to get going, a CPU board kit, plus the prototype board kit, plus a programmer, plus a getting started guidebook, a wall wart, 
uh, jumper wires and the software CD with the basic compiler and examples. You can shop online now. Um, George and uh, the Sierra Radio team will be at the Dayton Hamvention. They'll be in booth 406. Stop by and say hello. Take a look at the gear. Say hello to George and his colleagues. Uh, they're uh, they're really nice fellows, and I think you'll you'll find it interesting. I, like I said, we all have to kind of avoid um, uh, Luddite curmudgeonism, and we have to embrace new technology. So um, I think this is a way to do it, and there's obviously a lot of potential here in this area. So uh, take a look at the Hamstack website. That's www.hamstack.com. And, uh, and if you're going out to the Dayton Hamvention, stop by and see uh, see George, KJ6VU, and the Sierra Radio team. All right. Okay, let's see what else I have on the list here. Ah, 73 Magazine. You know, um, this is another blast from the past. I've been walking, taking, taking with me to work, uh, not only electric radio, but... Um, 73 magazine and uh it's been it's been a real pleasure i I miss that magazine you know it was kind of weird it had some strange elements in there especially towards the end Uh, a lot of us had a lot of problems when they started talking about the uh that the the whole apollo program was a hoax and all that kind of stuff and the bioelectrifier those of you who remember the bioelectrifier days that was a little bit kind of pseudoscience kind of weird there but Nevertheless, when I when I pick up a copy of, of 73 magazine and kind of the wild, zany and wacky uh, element to it, the um, projects that are presented and uh, and published without even a semblance of, uh, of peer review or technical checking, great ideas, all kinds of projects. I, I just love it. I miss uh, 73 magazine, and it, it's it's weird because around the same time that I was doing this, on 40 meter sideband. I heard a call sign of somebody who was very prominent in uh, in 73 magazine. It was published very frequently by them. A guy who's well known to the QRP community. That's Mike WB8VGE Victor Golf Echo. Mike was uh, Mike wrote the QRP column for uh, for 73 for for many years, and he also wrote quite a few articles and and books on on solar power and other alternative power. And uh, I uh, heard the call. I gave him a shout, and we had a very nice uh, contact there on on 40 meter sideband. I was using the HT 37 and the Drake 2B. So uh, great to great to talk to Mike. A um, couple other things that I've had up on the um, on the on the uh, the website that I wanted to mention here. A couple of job opportunities. I, I hope this is a sign that things are getting better, and it certainly seems like things are getting better for for knack victims because within the last month two very knack related job opportunities came to my attention one from the folks at maker blog um, and if you scroll through the uh, the the solder smoke dot blogspot dot com site you'll see the uh, the references to the job opportunity there at the maker blog and i think equally interesting was something that popped up just within the last week or so, at a Hacker, at Hackaday, Hackaday is a website that we've been watching for a long time. Uh, Mike KL7R and I used to always compare notes about things that we'd found on Hackaday, Hackaday, and it's uh, the website has gone, as the Brits say, from strength to strength, and it's 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 getting ever better, and it looks like uh, things are going well for them because they want to hire a full time. 
Um, hacker, and I'm sure they mean by that, knacker. <laughs> a person with the knack who can work full-time at their headquarters out in beautiful San Mateo, California. And it is beautiful out there. Man, I was tempted. I almost said, hey, the heck with this diplomat thing. I'm going to pack up the stuff and head out to California. Of course, uh, my kids would kill me because they have just settled into uh, their their lives here in Northern Virginia. So I don't think it's happening for me, but it may be happening for uh, for a solder smoke listener out there. It'd be a be great, great thing if somebody's looking for a, a job opportunity. It pays. It's full-time with benefits. Uh, San Mateo, California. Check it out, guys. It's on the... Uh, it's on the blog. I hope it I hope it works out and I hope it's of use to somebody. Something else we have on the on the um on the blog, and I think this came to us by way of uh, Maker, the Maker blog, but it caught my attention and it was one of these uh, kind of scientific how to articles. And it led to a series of developments all related to our audio woes here at the Solder Smoke Podcast. It's a video. And the video is how you can grow your own piezoelectric crystals at home. And this gets to the Rochelle salts. Remember we were talking about Rochelle salts? Well, you know that the Aesthetic D104, the beloved chrome lollipop that has now been banished from the uh, the Solder Smoke podcast because of the 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 waves of um, of um, email that I received uh, expressing um, disappointment with the audio quality of the D104. Anyway, it's it's back over. It's next to the HT37 where it belongs, and I'm not planning on bringing it back to the podcast. However, this video about brew your own piezoelectric crystals at home I thought was extremely interesting. And it made me think that there should be a way of of using these home-brewed piezoelectric crystals in a microphone. Now, you should take a look at the video. It's up on the on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com site. It's a really interesting video on how to how to make the um, the crystal microphone. Now, um, the interesting part about this, anyway. It's the, the the really interesting thing about this that I found was that in the video they discuss how a, a key element in putting this whole putting together your homebrew piezoelectric crystal is the use of cream of tartar sauce. I mean, I'm not guys. I'm not kidding. This is for real. Check it out. Look at the video. You know, we 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 know about kind of breadboard home brewing and about how. Ham radio operators have always raided the kitchen for various items to be used in homebrew projects, starting, I suppose, with um, with the breadboard, you know. And this is what guys would steal their mother's, you know, breadboard and, and build radios on it back in the back in the day, you know. And we've used other host household items over the years for, um, for for radio projects. I suppose one of the ones that comes to mind immediately is the use of desitin the you know the baby baby rash cream <laughs> as a heat sink compound michael mike kl7r and i talked about this because you'd, you'd use it and not only was it a good heat sink compound but it would fill the shack with a an a, a pleasing kind of 
you know, kind of warm odor. Um, I, I've, I talked when I was in Italy about using olive oil as a, kind of a, an improvised lubricant. I use the, uh, the, the olive oil to, to smooth the, um, the movements on my Dubsonian telescope. But the use of cream of tartar sauce, guys, is a new one on me. So we've got to add this to the, to the ham radio arsenal. So I take this thing and I put it up on the, uh, on the blog, and I think I put in some sort of joking reference to we may be able to use this to, uh, you know, to come up with a um, an appropriate solder smoke microphone. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know? Somebody sends me an article. And it's an article that appeared in the Italian ham radio magazines back in the 1950s. I guess when times were tough and they they really had to improvise. The article is um, by a fellow named Adrian Bugiardo. And um, his call sign is I0SOL. And it appeared in one of the ham radio magazines in Italy. And it describes how you can manage the mix, the chemicals that are put into the kind of almost like the kitchen mix for um, crystal microphones to play with the frequency response of the resulting microphone. And it's really amazing. It's almost like a cookbook for, for microphones. In other words, if you want, if you want the resulting mic to have an audio peak that's, say, at, at 2KC, he recommends putting in a certain amount of a different kind of crystal crystal substance. Like he'll he'll say, okay, for this you need a bit of sugar, and if you want more bass response, he's got he's got a chart. There's a there's an actual chart in the article, and if you want a, a bass response, you put in a bit of, of, of salt. If you want a different kind of response, you need a different kind of salt, and for that you you have to use rock salt. And there's this whole chart it's amazing i mean it's it's amazing what people will have to do when they have, when they when they when they have to make use of available resources but anyway we're going to do it we're going to mix up our own crystal element i may actually use the d104 stand but i need input from the solder smoke community so i want you to take a look at kind of the recipe chart for the microphone and let me know sh- shoot me an email about what you think we should have in the mix and it, it generally it's it's if you want higher responses you add a bit of sugar if you want lower frequency responses you add you add salt so send me some email let me know whether we need sugar more sugar more salt what do you think what what what, what is your idea of what the solder smoke microphone should be um, should consist of <laughs> and then we will brew one up and we'll use it on a future um, solder smoke. So I'm going to put a put a link up to this, and, and it'll be at www.soldersmoke.com backslash, or let's see, www.soldersmoke.com slash microphone dot, what, what should I put? Microphone dot htm. There you go. Microphone.htm. That's www.soldersmoke.com slash microphone.htm. And uh, we'll, have the, we'll have the whole article there. You guys can check it out and use it as your guide 
to submitting your um, opinion on what kind of um, mix should go into the newly uh, brewed up, home-brewed solder smoke microphone. All right, let's see what else we got going on here. Um, oh, it was Pi Day. Did you guys know that it was uh, was Pi Day? Uh, March 14th, 3.14, get it? Pi Day. This is a this is a great thing that you find out about um, um, when you when you have kids in elementary school. And Maria came home one day and told me, "Daddy, Pi Day is coming up." So um, I went on to the uh, to the internet, and there was this uh, great video of this guy uh, playing a song that he had developed based on uh, the uh, on the number Pi. And so anyway, March fourteenth was Pi Day. I hope it went went well for all of you. I hope you had a very kind of well-rounded day. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, went out and did some antenna work. You know, we've, we've had some rough weather, some late March snow here, but we had a, a period there where it was really nice, and I, I wanted to put up a longer antenna for, uh, for Whisper and QRSS and all that. And so I, inspired by... Um, uh, fellow that I was talking to at the uh, at the Vienna Wireless Winterfest, I pulled out a a slingshot, an old wrist rocket slingshot. Got some lead weight. Took a fishing pole, stuck the fishing pole into the into the dirt, and man, I launched some rope, some wires up into the trees at heights that had had never been seen before. Really got them got them way up there, and. Uh, it was um, very, very gratifying. I just I had great success. I was um, I was thinking, I wish I had this technique when I was a teenage ham trying to throw, literally throw wires with ropes, uh, rocks with wires attached to them up into the trees. The slingshot method, guys, for me, is the way to go. You get a little um, a little fishing weight. You got, I guess, about the size of a big pebble or a small rock. You attach it to the... Um, to the fishing line, use the reel on the fishing pole, stand back, wear some eye protection, of course, and launch that thing over the uh, over the tree that you want to use as an antenna support. Then I use the uh, the fishing line to pull through some uh, uh, some stronger uh, string, and then stronger string after that, and then up goes the antenna. And uh, it was very gratifying. I, I put the thing up and immediately got on uh, got on QRSS and was immediately picked up and spotted by a grabber way down on the North Island of New Zealand. And I put the, uh, the picture of that, uh, that uh, very pleasing event for me. I put it up on the, uh, the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. So check it out. I think you guys will find that interesting. Also made, made it across to Europe. I've been in, I've been in whisper receiving mode mostly um, because I got some reports that my, uh, my transmitter had some AC hum on it and was generally putting out some some pretty ugly signals. So I got to work on the transmitter. So just to be a good citizen in the whisper bands, I've I've switched over to receive only. Receive only is fun though too because I leave my little receiver, which is nothing more than a um, SBL1 diode ring mixer, going into a, a KA7EXM a discrete transmitter transistor audio amplifier and. Uh, Anyway, just I run that into the computer. The computer sits there and kind of um, decodes the whisper signals, and then po- posts the results automatically up onto the um, to the whisper net 
a website. So it's really kind of cool. I, I leave it I leave it running, and I can check from from anywhere. I can check from my BlackBerry, check out the uh, the site, and see which signals are coming in on the uh, on the whisper uh, at my station. And uh, it, so during the course of the day, you can really see how uh, how propagation is doing. If I'm if I'm receiving signals from down under, I know the thing the band uh, 30 meters is open and the conditions are pretty good. So anyway, it's a fun way, sort of a reverse beacon thing. It's sort of almost like a receive beacon. It's better to give than receive reports. So uh, <laughs> I'll have to straighten out the uh, the signal problem on the uh, the whisper transmitter. And I want to make I want to uh, to work out the transmit receive uh, circuitry so that I can have the computer automatically switch me back and forth from uh, transmit to receive as as should be the uh, uh, the setup. I think my work on the uh, the cable for the KPC three and the computer for the satellite system will increase my understanding of the uh, of the technology for doing that kind of computer driven transmit to receive uh, um, switchover. All right guys that brings us to the time of the show for solder smoke mailbag. That's awesome. Okay guys I had to switch microphones here so you might want to give me some audio reports tell me if this thing sounds any different. The traditional solder smoke microphone that you guys love so dearly just basically went into rebellion on me and started putting a whole lot of hum I could see it I could see it on the audio uh, on the audacity spectroscope so anyway I've gone to uh, the replacement version that I purchased at the the Vienna Wireless Ham Fest and I'm going to use that for the mailbag portion of this show got very cool mail this week really really good mail a lot of it Coming out of the uh, University of Virginia at Charlottesville, our correspondent at UVA Charlottesville, Bert WF7I, reporting on some really amazing radio daring do involving a mighty midget transmitter that he built some 20 years ago as a uh, teenage radio fiend. Bert and one of his friends really got into home brewing and decided to make some mighty midget transmitters. These are simple crystal controlled um, 40 meter uh, QRP one transistor, only one transistor uh, oscillator transmitters. Uh, I built one and I never made a contact with it. Bert built one. Built Bert's was really nice. They spent a lot of time working on a really nice case and it looks looked really really kind of it really looks cool. I have pictures of it up on the blog so check it out. Um, and Bert and his friend both built them in these nice kind of blue boxes. I guess blue boxes were in vogue around that time if you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, anyway uh, they built them and never made a contact. Well fast forward 20 years later Bert is back in the ham radio homebrew game and uh, decides that he wants to give the the mighty midget another chance so I believe he was operating from the UVA nuclear power reactor club station Um, they made contact he made contact after 20 years so you build a thing it sits around for 20 years open it up and you put it on the air and make contact that was that was really really cool and Bert sent some nice messages and nice pictures and it provided some some real inspiration I think to the uh, 
to the younger radio amateurs out there at UVA, which is, by the way, becoming a real center, a real hotbed of homebrew innovation here in the, uh, the eastern part of the United States. Congratulations to Bert and the guys out there at UVA. Springtime is coming, gentlemen. Time to give that rhombic another shot. <laughs> Try to find something away from the bike paths. <laughs> or maybe something that's not going to endanger some bird. Because you guys, I just it would break my heart to hear about you guys putting it up there again and then having to take it down. Anyway, um, this, uh, this leads us to rules and regulations. And you know, um, this is kind of a difficult subject to discuss here, but I wanted to talk to you guys about it. Um, we get a lot of um, really good feedback on the uh, articles that are posted on the blog and people post comments and we encourage them to do so and and one of our really most uh, esteemed uh, commenters is uh, a fellow out there in California Steve Snortrosen Smith you know this the, the whole nickname thing it has um, kind of has underworld connotations you know it sounds like all, all the mafia guys when they get arrested always have some sort of weird you know jimmy the fish jimmy the fish gonzano or something like that well we have with us um steve snort rosin smith and uh, steve i think uncharacteristically chimed in all this talk about the um uh the mighty midget he jumped in and said oh my where is your low-pass output filter? Okay, uh, okay, all right. Then I, a week or so later, I published the, the schematic of my um, Hans Summers G0 UPL um, FSK QRSS uh, Da Vinci Code 30-meter transmitter. Again, we get a message from Steve. Oh, my where is the low-pass output filter? Okay, okay, okay. Steve, we're with you. We understand. But, you know, I must... I, I, and I sent a message to Steve on this, and I think I posted it on the blog for all to see, that it was a bit surprising to hear somebody who has such a kind of counterculture image, you know, that comes with having a, um, a nickname that involves snorting something and having it also the the w6 address you know the w6 address uh, for for those listening from outside the united states i don't know if you realize but just the fact that someone is from california sort of puts them in the kind of avant-garde kind of um kind of wild and crazy guy kind of category for those of us from other parts of the United States. So you take this W6 address, you combine it with a nickname that involves snorting a substance. And I always had this image of Steve as kind of a, I don't know, kind of a, a free spirit, you know? But here he is enforcing the rules of the man. <laughs> now, in his defense, he wrote back and he said, you know, he's not really concerned about the FCC. He's more concerned about the old man, the uh, Hiram Percy Maxim, the wielder of the Wufang, and that we might be uh, be punished by uh, HPM, the old man, for having ugly signals. Anyway, Steve, we're with you. We know we know we're supposed to use output output filters, and 
and seat belts and bicycle helmets and all that stuff and okay so let's be official here be sure to use the low pass output filters on all of your micro watt transmitters there I said it see Steve thanks very much <laughs> hey um, Neil uh, KB1 UAL chimed in on the, uh, the on the mighty midget adventures he was inspired by the uh, the reports on the solder smoke blog to go out and build one himself he built it put it on the air and without waiting 20 years actually made contact with the thing so that was really cool this has all inspired me I'm gonna have to you know um, fire I still have my, my I, I still have my mighty midget and I put a picture of it up on the blog so check it out Neil did you use a low-pass Pi network output filter if not, please report to Steve Snortrosen-Smith for punishment. Okay, um, Jim, N3JIM, has been rereading Solder Smoke Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, a.k.a. Solder Smoke the Book. And he wrote to tell me that he found my explanation of balanced modulators brilliant. That's a British term. And... Um, it said it makes him want to homebrew a double sideband rig. Well, there you go, Jim. Look no further. Sprat, issue number 146, ZL1. I'm sorry, ZL2 BMI. Hey, speaking of ZL2 BMI, I got some good email from Peter Parker, VK3YE. There's a connection between VK3YE and ZL2 BMI because in this article that I'm kind of enthusing about here from Spratt, Peter Parker is mentioned and it's amazing because we have this one art it's almost like the the greats of of double sideband are uniting on the pages of Spratt. Let me see what he says here. I tried driving this is what this is ZL2 BMI writing quote I tried driving the amp directly but the output was poor However, I showed the rig to Peter Parker, VK3YE, while in Melbourne a few months ago, and he produced a 40-meter version within a short time, which seems to work okay without the need for this transformer. So Peter Parker is involved in this project, and sure enough, later on in the article, um, old man BMI says, Google Peter, VK3YE, and you get some idea of what he has been building over the last... 25 plus years. He says here, there is a somewhat of a feedback whistle when going from transmit to receive in my rig, but this is minimized by keeping the mic well away from the speaker. Peter Parker has tried some interesting circuitry to overcome this. Peter Parker, all right, he sent me a message and a message about regens. Stand by one second. Yes, here it is. He commented on my article in, on the blog entitled Regen Madness, and he said, Bill, you've now entered a positive feedback loop, 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 loop. Reaction is useless. The capacity for tickling will only increase. You'll want your thirst, I'll say, I'll say that again, you'll want your thirst quenched. No reflexes can prevent that. Keep rushing, for the world of super regen soon awaits. 
<laughs> very good, very good, Peter. All right. I feel myself being pulled into the regeneration vortex. All right. Um, David, M0VTG, sends us in a nice report on a very happy event that took place at a radio rally. That's a ham fest for you North Americans. It took place about 60 kilometers north of London. David had gone out. For a long time, he'd been hoping to find a copy of Solid State Design for the Radio Amateur. This is the uh, the publication, of course, that has been uh, driven up in price by the Solder Smoke podcast. Um, and he never thought he'd find one. But there he found one, sitting on a table, all by itself. Well, I don't know if it was all by itself. I imagine there was other stuff there. But he found it there at a rally, and he asked the, the proprietor how much he wanted for it. Two quid. That's two pounds sterling. Two quid. He got solid state design for Radio Amateur. Right over there in the UK, he said the solder smoke gods were with him that day. <laughs> Thanks, David. Um, got an email from um, from James Michener. Yes, the noted author. The guy who endorsed, endorsed um, solder smoke the book. He, you'll recall that uh, Jim, uh, K9JM, sent in a review saying that uh, solder smoke got um, two thumbs up. From, from James Michener. <laughs> well, it's not the James Michener, of course, but uh, Jim was kind enough to send me uh, salutations from Trastevere in Rome. Usually I'm the one who's been sending out salutations from Trastevere in Rome, but uh, this time they were coming back at me. Jim was over there on vacation, having a good time in Rome. God, made me nostalgic. Ah, man, I miss Trastevere. Um... Mike K2MTS sent in a nice, uh, relayed a nice tweet from astronaut named uh, Colonel Wheelock. And uh, he tweeted, and I believe he may have done this tweet from space. He tweeted the, um, a link that leads to the um, animation of Dilbert's famous visit to the, um, to the doctor's office in which um, the doctor diagnoses Dilbert as having the knack. That's, of course, the, uh, the cartoon animation that gave rise to all this uh, endless knack madness here on Solder Smoke. Uh, Jeff, Piper Cub, Jeff, KO7M, our, our friend from, uh, from, from out west who flies the Piper Cub, is doing QRSS with an Ar Arduino, uh, having a great fun with it. Seems to be heading into the whisper direction. Great to hear from you, uh, Jeff. And uh, Jeff tells me that he loves regens. See, I'm getting pulled further into it. You know, if Jeff KO7M likes regens, I'm going to have to reconsider my position. Uh, here we go. Um, Alan WA9IRS sends us a nice link to a good um, electronic design notes e-zine article of interest to radio amateurs. I'm going to try to get the link up on the page. Thanks for that, Alan. And finally this week, I a... Um, Perhaps sort of kind of helpful suggestion comes to us from, I think it's out there in Albuquerque, Mark K5LXP. Um, he comments on my whistling S problem, you know, which is a bad problem when you have a, a, a podcast called Solder Smoke. <laughs> I didn't even know I had a whistling S problem until I started in this business. Anyway, uh, 
he heard me mention that I had attempted to use um, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum and the Starburst Candy to fill up the gap in my two front teeth. Um, he says that um, we need to use something more durable and something more directly related to amateur radio. And so he suggests that I take a chunk of coax seal <laughs> and stick it in there. He says, he notes that it's got some advantages. It's um, waterproof yet pliable. <laughs> but Mark, does it come in strawberry? I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mark, Mark commented also, he said he heard the, uh, um, the feedback, you know, the, I mean, the AM, which turned out to be FM breakthrough on one of the previous editions. And he said that he thinks that I had, this is part of a long-term problem because he recalls in an earlier episode, he heard crickets. Um, <laughs> Mark, the crickets were for real. They were just outside my window. The, um, the, the music and the, the stuff you heard playing in the background, that was in fact RFI, but the crickets, the crickets, I guess, would have to call that audio frequency interference. <laughs> All right. Okay, guys, <clears throat> that's it for this week. Um, have, a, have, a great, uh, have a great month ahead and uh, seven threes from the wilds of Northern Virginia. And remember, this podcast has been brought to you by Sierra Radio Systems. Visit their website at www.hamstack.com. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi.